Welcome to A Dummy's Guide to Geekdom, the show that tries to give everyone a crash course on geek culture. Whether you're trying to understand some trends, know enough to start a conversation with a friend, or you just want to know what on earth someone is talking about, we are here for you. I am your super dummy, Paul, and I am joined by the wonderful, the amazing, Mr. Matt B. Lloyd. How are you, sir? Hi, Paul. I'm doing good today. Thank you. Good stuff. Good. And you have joined me on... Well, when this releases, I think it's going to be a couple of days before the release of a certain film. Hopefully everyone knows what we're talking about. <laughs> um, this may be a spoiler, Tonya, for you in particular, because I know you avoid everything. This may be a spoiler for some people, but it has been announced that a certain character will be appearing in an upcoming film. I'm not going to say the film, just in case, but... I think everyone knows what film I'm talking about. So Matt, would you like to tell the wonderful people who we are going to be talking about today? We're going to uh, talk about Namor the Submariner. Yeah. Now, I have to say, when it was announced that he was going to be in the film, I was slightly surprised. I didn't realize the connection between everything, but I understand he's like he's a real staple of um, of Marvel. So... Why don't you get us started, Matt? Where where did Namor come into the Marvel world? Well, I'm sure, uh, as you recall, that before Marvel Comics was called Marvel Comics, the publisher back in the uh, the 30s was called Timely Publications, hmm. Timely Comics, and he is actually Timely's first character. He oh, appears wow. uh, in Marvel Comics number one. Cover date either October or November 1939. After the initial print run, they went sent some more back and put a new date sticker for November so it would stay on the stands a month longer. But he actually has an alternate first appearance, which is an interesting story in and of itself. Ah, so what's that about? Well, uh, we can easily say this is his first newsstand appearance in Marvel Comics number one. But the uh, character and the story that appears in Marvel Comics number one uh, it, it appears elsewhere in a comic called Motion Pictures Funny Weekly. Motion Pictures Funnies Weekly. And uh, it was a, a comic created in 1939. It was designed to be a promotional giveaway in movie theaters. So you would go, you imagine back those days you went to the theater and you had you know a cartoon a newsreel a short subject a main feature and maybe there was a double feature and there was two regular movies you spent you know a long time there so mm. this was an idea of and you come you come to the movie theater you get the comic and you come back next week and you get the next issue etc etc um uh. it didn't it didn't really work out they they printed uh some of the uh the first issue as like samples for movie theaters but uh they never printed any of the other issues although there are covers for issues two through four that have been discovered wow it's a clever idea it is but i can also understand why it didn't work sure sure uh, and uh and so this is actually where submariner was originally intended to appear uh created by uh writer artist uh bill everett he was uh working for the, the company that created the motion pictures funnies weekly. And eventually Martin Goodman, who was in charge of timely, uh, got needed material for his, his first comic. And this is one of the things that came along with it. So that's why it appears in Marvel comics. Number one, 
as well as Motion Pictures Funnies Weekly, number one. <laughs> All right. Wow, blimey. So, so do we get an idea of his um, his origin story straight away, or is it one of these that he just appears and starts? No, he gets his origin in the very first appearance. In the very first oh, appearance. Wow. Yep. He is the uh, the son of an Atlantean princess and a and an American sea sea captain, an explorer who's exploring uh, in the areas of the uh, South Pole, the Antarctic. And he is in line for the throne because he is a princess, a prince. His grandfather is Thakur, who is currently on the throne. Uh, this story opens with American ships damaging parts of Atlantis. And uh, uh, Namor is dispatched to, uh, to see what's going on and to attack the, uh, the people that are dumping stuff overboard and damaging Atlantis. And that's sort of where his enmity with the surface world begins. So his, his mother is very, uh, uh, you know, praises him for his good work of bringing back two hostages and, and killing them and giving the Atlanteans a sort of course to pursue a war with the surface world. Oh, wow. So he doesn't exactly start as a nice fluffy character. And he never gets becomes that either. He's uh, oh. from the very outset. He is. I mean, we we now use the term antihero, but you know he's quite villainous in the in the first uh, the first story. And interestingly, the the first story uh, leads to the next to the next, and there's sort of like a long story arc in the first ten issues of uh, of marvel which becomes marvel mystery comics with issue number two uh and in the course of his assault on new york city he meets a young uh, uh policewoman uh there's an initial attraction and this is where namor starts to get distracted she is able to convince him that there's a bigger threat to atlantis than simply uh americans that are dumping uh dumping things in the ocean that are harming his place. There's this war between the allies and the Axis, and she's able to turn his attention to the Nazis. So he sort of begrudgingly agrees to help, mainly because I think he, she's able to convince him that the Nazis are a big threat. And he gets to see it in first hand uh, when Namor, when not Namor, when the Nazis uh, attack a, a ship with medical supplies or something along those lines and yeah. uh, he sees well they they're not they're not there's no sort of honor in them they are you know they really are bad guys so he turns his attention to trying to fight them and sort of backs off his uh his war with all of the surface world but it's something that continually runs as that that theme He's not really happy with the surface world, and he still sees them as th a threat to uh, Atlantis and his people. But he is able to turn enough to to assist in the war against the Axis. Right. He kind of he doesn't like the surface world, but he knows that in particular of the surface world, there's a very specific group that are even worse that he might want to put his focus on. Right. Right, because he sees them 
you know, attacking uh, you know, the helpless, the sick, you know, and Namor does have a sense of, of honor uh, and that sort of thing. He's not coming up to the, uh, the surface to just randomly maim and kill man, woman, and child. He's, he's intending on fighting a war that he sees as there's something honorable in, you know, defending your, your homeland uh, that he perceives has been attacked. So, so where does it go from there then? Because obviously that's um, it's a very wartime story. How do they, how do they get, get away from that and sort of into the modern years? Yeah. He ends up having more, uh, more traditional uh, comic book, you know, stories. Uh, they usually feature uh, Betty Dean, the policewoman who is now uh, ends up as a newspaper editor and, you know, general crime gangsters, uh, kidnapping those sorts of things uh, often at Betty's behest to to assist uh, I think he proved popular enough a character that they couldn't you know obviously write him as a villain even though he starts out very much as a uh, as a he doesn't really start out as a hero he, he he's a, he's just a lead character that you're not really sure where he's going so you know, I think his his friendship with Betty Dean softens his uh, his feelings towards the surface world over time, and a lot of those uh, later stories are tough to uh, tough come across in reprints and stuff. So I had to do my best to find some synopses here and there to to get an idea of what kind of stories we were getting. So, so I mean, it's funny because he's obviously, I mean, he is arguably the earliest of all of them, but he's also possibly one of the least known. I mean, does he have many of his own runs? Does he join big groups? I mean, where does he stand in, in the, um, in sort of the wider Marvel world? Well, for those, for those people who grew up during the golden age of comics, he was, he was one of timely's biggest characters and he was, he was well-known. My dad, when he would talk about comics, he read as a kid, he remembered the Submariner. My mom remembered the Submariner. Um, I think uh, after the fall of uh, comics at the end of the golden age with the uh, seduction of the innocent and, and superheroes dropping off it, 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 a lot of those characters did get forgotten. Uh, but he came back uh, in 1962 in fantastic four, number four. So Marvel did bring him back uh, right. and they brought him back with a, uh, with the same sort of motivation, he he had not changed. He is uh, revived by uh, he's found by Johnny Storm, the Human Torch, in the Fantastic Four in a halfway house kind of thing, and he's all hairy and covered up, and you can't really see his face. But uh, Johnny thinks he looks familiar or whatever, and he uses his flame to burn the. Uh, uh, ridiculous amounts of uh, facial hair off him and he realizes it's a submariner and he drops him in the water and being dropped back in the water revives his uh brings his memory back and he's like what happened what are you doing to me you service people i'm gonna get you <laughs> kind of a thing <laughs> yeah and he uh he continues to have a tenuous relationship with that that part of his heritage being uh half Atlantean, half Earth, uh, Earth land dweller, uh, as it were. And uh, 
you know, it, it takes Sue Storm at the in the Fantastic Four. She ends up being that voice of reason that Betty Dean was in the Golden Age. He has uh, he fancies her quite uh, quite much, and uh, she's able to try to talk to him, uh, reason with him, uh, get him to look at things differently. But there is a long time, all through the sixties, he's he's always got one foot. Uh, in the war room, trying to find a way to attack the uh, the surface world, it's always there as as an idea in his head. So it takes a while before he he joins up. Uh, if you think about things uh, in continuity in Marvel comics instead of as they were actually published, mm. if you tr- if you go back in the forties, at the end uh, during the war, he did join a a team called the invaders which was uh which is where i first probably came across him uh 1976 uh was an invaders one launch and that was some manner captain america bucky human torch and toro in wartime adventures so it's retroactive continuity to show what those guys would have been like on a team together during during world war ii now in in the real world there was also a comic called all winners and there was something called the all winners squad which is a teaming a team-up book as well with same guys plus excuse me a couple others and of course the invaders get more characters uh joining over time but once again in the in the 40s it's a situation where he's putting aside his issue with the surface world as a whole in order to fight the greater evil so his his relationship is at times strained to say the least yeah i mean i think i don't know if i'd really want someone like him on my team i would always be worried that he's just thinking of a way to get rid of me well he doesn't spend a lot of time on teams i don't think he's ever actually been on the avengers i'm, I'm trying to remember now i don't think he has but he was in the defenders for a while um but those defenders teams are at the beginning, they're not your usual team players right. uh, group. It's like Submariner, the Hulk, uh, Silver Surfer, uh, Doctor Strange, and some others. And none of those guys are really known for being team players. They all have <laughs> a uh, you know something else going on with them that makes them difficult to work with, as it were. Mm. So you know what? This might be a theme. Uh, characters that are difficult to work with that I'm going to talk to you about. I can, I can see that coming now. (laughs) (laughs) Foreshadowing, foreshadowing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. Blimey. So what, uh, probably, yeah. Rowing back a tiny bit. What, what are his sort of powers, his skills? Because with the connections that he's got, it's, yeah. Well, he is he is not only a uh, half human, half Atlantean, he has also been retroactively uh, uh, been anointed the first mutant. So it's not oh, well. his his not his uh, his his biracial DNA that gives him his powers rather, but that is a he he's a mutant uh, and that's where his powers come from. But those powers are, in fact, Super strength, speed, agility, durability, flight, and longevity. Um, in in continuity, he is supposed to have really been around since the 40s, uh, and he's still hanging tough today. So right. he's probably – I don't know that I've seen a Submariner comic in recent years personally uh, that wasn't you know old. 
and he's probably still, you know, he wouldn't be any more than 40, 45 at the most, probably in a comic today. Right. Um, he can fly. He has these little ankle wings uh, that uh, allow him to fly uh, with a lot of uh, uh, quick turns and stops and starts. Uh, he, he, he can live underwater or on land, mm. but when he's on land, his, his strength is greatly reduced, uh, which is how he survived all those years uh, with amnesia on land before Johnny Storm found him. He was, there's a story of how he got on land and didn't bother to recount that, but he did end up, you know, on land for a while and didn't die, but he was not at his full strength and all that. So that is a weakness is being on land, but it's not a, a death knell as it were. Um, Right. uh, And at one point he had the ability to, uh, mimic all the uh, powers of the creatures that live beneath the sea. Uh, and he was seen charging the air with electricity, like an electric eel a couple times, but that's not oh, wow. something uh, that really stayed with him as a, as a main power set. It was something that he used and then it was not used much again. And in his uh, second appearance way back in 1939, he once again, he, uh, he, uh, had another power that we didn't really get to see a personal hydration function, uh, meaning he could produce an excess amount of water from his body to put out a fire. Oh, wow. So that seems like a pretty neat, uh, neat thing, but it's not something that stuck around either, but, uh, he did use it some early, early in his, uh, in his appearances. Yeah. I can imagine even, even in the um, the realms of superpowers that don't really make much sense, that's that's quite up there. It's yeah. cool, but it <laughs> doesn't make much sense. <laughs> a walking fire hydrant. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, definitely useful to have around, not going to lie. So, yeah, you kind of uh, alluded to it there. What is his... Have, has he had many appearances recently in comic books? Is he... There, there's one that just started... Uh... Uh, a new series that takes place a little bit in the future uh, that's currently running. Marvel tends to put out something new with characters that are going to appear in movies. Um, recent stuff. Um, he appears here and there uh, in sto- larger storylines. Uh, still, I was uh, doing a little bit of research on sort of relevant things and came across a recent uh recent meaning in the past 10 years storyline with uh, uh, the Black Panther uh, and he appeared in that that was back in uh, 2012 and an Avengers X-Men crossover but I mean he has had a ton of appearances um, he's had a number of his own runs too if you want to uh, do that real quick um, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course for Marvel Marvel Mystery Comics, his first ten the first ten issues are sort of this one long story where he uh, comes into the world, you know, meets Betty Dean, ends up meeting the original Human Torch, and has a massive fight with him. And we'll get to that when we talk about enemies. Um, the uh, the Invader series in the seventies was important, giving him the retroactive history with Cap, Bucky, and 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 his World War II time adventures. He shows up a lot in Fantastic Four. After he's revived, of course, that issue number four is his first appearance in the Silver Age, uh, 1962, I believe it was. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, 
Tales to Astonish in the 60s, uh, nine, uh, issue 70 through 101. He appeared uh, in his solo feature, and they're sharing the issue with uh, the Hulk uh, in half the book. And then uh, that rolls right into his own uh, comic that ran for, I don't think, uh, about 70 issues up into the 70s. And then he's had, a, in the 80s and 90s, he had a number of uh, miniseries uh, over time, including a 12-issue uh, series called Saga the Submariner, which attempts to... Uh, put the whole history of the character uh, in one long story, uh, at least at the time of publication. And then I believe it was just after that, he spun off into uh, a new title called Namor, the Submariner that ran for 40 issues or more, more than 40 issues. But the first, first 40 were uh, done by John Byrne, I believe it was, and added a lot to his, his mythos. So yeah, he's, he's definitely been around a bit. He has, yes, and he's he's held his own title at different times for a while, but you know I think it's tough sometimes to sell a uh, maybe a non a character that isn't a straight up superhero, you know. Yeah. In the forties, I guess he he fulfilled a role. You know, he was a you know we would say a badass now the way he would you know <laughs> swim in underwater and tear open you know the hull of a submarine and swim inside and you know dispatch nazis with ease and that was very appealing to the world to the world mm-hmm. at that time especially for for kids and stuff that were probably your main consumers of comics um but i think there's a lot of interesting things to be done with him as a character and i think they really tried that in in, in the mid 60s and late 60s with uh, his solo run you know eventually they'll start doing some environmental stuff uh with uh, the oceans and such, but okay. you know, I think his his main his main thing has always been, you know, trying to find his way in the world with two different uh, legacies. Uh, and mm. I know people want to compare him to Aquaman, who has the same sort of situation, except that Aquaman and Namor are just vastly different in personality and characterization. They are, they, it would be hard to find to, for having such similar uh, concepts and, and underwater abilities, they are just mm. the exact polar opposites on, uh, on that. You know, Aquaman always seems to get flack from Atlantis for siding with his, his human side because he was raised on land, whereas Namor is always siding with atlantis and is you know like i said he's always got one foot uh you know in the war room trying to figure out how to Mm. destroy the surface world so they they couldn't be more different or personality wise either um you know they're both hot-headed that's in that respect but otherwise aquaman is just they they just got a very different uh, approach to the way they they see the world so if anyone is worried that they're going to get a uh, a different the same thing in namor that they did in aquaman you know don't don't worry you won't it's they're not remotely similar <laughs> as far as the types of stories you're going to tell with them as far as their motivations and and that sort of thing even if the aquaman movie really didn't do a good job of showing what aquaman is supposed to be like as a character that was that was who Jason Momoa is. That was not who Aquaman is. 
they got the story yeah. part right, but not the characterization. Yeah, I, that would be a good crossover though with Namor and Aquaman. Oh yeah, especially since they'd essentially be fighting for the opposite, you know, with the yeah. exact opposite motivation. You know, no, we've got to protect the service world too. No, we got to destroy the service world. You know, be, it's it's ideal. You know, that w- it's an yeah. ideal sort of rivalry if you could have a crossover between uh, companies like that. Yeah, I, I think that's unlikely to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, in terms of in terms of enemies, obviously the Nazis, everyone's enemy. Um, <laughs> like Indiana Jones said, Nazis. I hate these guys. <laughs> exactly, and who can disagree? And if you do disagree, well, you've got issues. Um, so yeah, who else? Who else are his sort of um, his main targets? Well, from from early on in his er, one of the earliest appearances uh, a childhood friend uh, was a i believe cousin also was a rival to him named bira so he's an atlantean uh, who tries to uh, usurp the throne multiple times and tries to show that namor is unfit for uh, to rule uh, additionally we have mm-hmm. a, a tama a, a leader of atlantean barbarians he threatens atlantis repeatedly uh, and conquers it on several several occasions and he sort of pops his head up whenever they need a uh, uh, political intrigue story to uh, to keep that that aspect of his character going. Interestingly, I would say that the Golden Age Human Torch, Jim Hammond, is also uh, one of his a- enemies, if not also an uh, uneasy ally uh, at times. Right. Uh, it's the natural opposition of fire and water, and, and they, they, they tried to milk this for... Uh, all it was worth back in the 40s and it, and it worked really well actually i did one of my early shows on their uh their first battle uh on classic comics so the uh they, they never really get along back then they they have an uneasy alliance once again forged by betty dean because jim hammond is a cop uh in his civilian life if an android can really have a civilian life um and so she sort of brokers the peace between them, but they they always have a rivalry. There's always underneath the surface, you know, it's it's right there seething the entire time. Um, Namor takes things very personally, so it's it's difficult for him to see him see the Human Torch as a as an ally at times, and he cannot right. stand to be bested by him. When they get into it, he cannot stand to be to be beaten by him. I would also say early on in the 60s, the Fantastic Four is one of his enemies. Once again, he, he, he's used as a, uh, you know, a villain early on in the, as opposed to an anti-hero in, in, the, in the 60s when he comes back. And uh, he teams up with Dr. Doom at one point. He at one point is, fights against Dr. Doom. Uh, he's he's yeah. sort of all over the place. So his enemies are all over the place too. Sometimes they're traditional bad guys like the Nazis, and other times they're you know other heroes that are his enemies. So basically, just just don't don't annoy him because yeah yeah don't way or turn. Please, <laughs> please don't annoy him. But the thing is, with Namor, you could annoy him and not even know it. He is he he really <laughs> is that character. You can just be tooling along and all of a sudden he's popping out of the water to smack you down and you're like what did i do it's like you threw that wrapper in the water you're destroying you know and that wrapper killed a fish in atlantis and you know you get the hammer or something you know (laughs) obviously 
<laughs> not something that that menial is a as a candy wrapper but you get that's mm. the idea is you don't even know when you've done something to to, to make right. him upset so so with the movie coming up do you have any sort of thoughts or expectations what people may see i've seen the trailers i've seen a couple scenes that they've since released it seems like they uh they've got his his personality downright that he's going to be a badass that he's going to have a lot of neat action sequences that mm. you'll go wow that's awesome um i haven't quite figured out his motivation from the trailers and that's okay you really can't so i can't imagine wakanda doing anything that would piss him off mm. so i'm trying to figure out what's his motivation for as we've seen in the trailers invading wakanda attacking flooding wakanda i don't the wakandans are not known for their you know for doing that sort of thing so it, i have i'm curious as to why um so far what i've seen of the actor itself he seems to get a lot of the, the aspects of the character although personally i think he could be more physically imposing um he doesn't look like he's that big of a man so that's something i always took namor was a at times has been depicted as quite a quite a physical specimen um right. and and this actor is not quite that um and then of course they've added some stuff to namor's appearance that uh that is brand new for the marvel universe uh for the mcu um while they have the traditional green trunks and the ankle wings those look great they are not they're making him not atlantean he is from some other group of people that we haven't heard enough about to really get the story but it's influenced by pre-columbian Meso mesoamerican uh indigenous societies um aztecs maya that kind of thing yeah. and uh i personally think it looks awkward for him to have those kinds of trappings um because it's just this is not namor it's not who he is mm. <laughs> um and you know marvel can Marvel at times can can take something new and add it to a character and, and make it work. I just don't understand why we would why they would change that. I mean, you wouldn't do a Superman movie and make him not from Krypton. You wouldn't make a Captain America movie and make him not from the United States of America. So why would you mm. make Namor, the Submariner, the avenging son of Atlantis, not from At Atlantis? What's the I don't understand the I don't understand an in-story reason for doing that. I can think outside the story why you would do that, but then that just seems contrived. Uh, and that generally tends not to uh, inspire me, as it were. Um, mm. So, so yeah, I, I think, I think it's, uh, it's going to rely a lot on the actual execution of what they do and what we learn about the character that's, that's not out there in the trailers to see how people react to it. And once again, you know, like you said, he's not that well-known a character. Um, we did, I did fail to mention, he did have a, uh, a spot on the Marvel superheroes uh, cartoons in the sixties. Uh, oh yeah. If you remember that he was one of the characters. So he had a, he had his own theme song and everything. So there's uh there are kids who remember that, you know, uh, well, they're not kids anymore, but there are people that remember that. So, <laughs> And I watched that in reruns in, in the in the seventies and eighties, so I I'm familiar with that uh, 
with that as well. So I think it's all going to depend on the actual execution. And some people like me that are, you know, that have been with the character for so long and have gone back and read all so much of the old stuff, it's going to feel awkward to think of, a, well, how can he not be Atlantean? He's Atlantean. He doesn't make any sense for him not to be Atlantean. Why would you give him facial hair? He doesn't have facial hair. He shouldn't have facial hair. Why is, why is he going to be wearing all that extra stuff underwater? That doesn't make sense. It's got to swim. You know, it's heavy. It's around his neck. There's, you know, I mean, there's just those kinds of things that, you know, depending on how, how much you read into it or how those types of changes, how you think about those changes, you know, you can sure. think outside of the, uh, the story and think, oh, well, we want to, you know, include this, this, or this for uh, reasons of inclusion. And so you do this, even if it doesn't, isn't part of the character, you've added something to the character. Um, and mm -hmm. what, what I, what I'm hoping they're not going to do is try to have some sort of, he's supposed to be inspired or his people are supposed to be some sort of uh, offshoot of, you know, pre-Columbian Mesoamerican society, but then they're going to include aspects of Spanish language, which does not fit. It. So that's, that doesn't make sense to me. And, uh, you know, I, I think, I think the actor they, they picked is perfectly fine to portray Namor in any incarnation. I just don't know if all the things they've added onto him are going to work really well for longtime fans of the character that feel like they already know who the character is, as opposed to, yeah. Oh, he's somebody else. You know, like I said, yeah. Superman's from Krypton. You're not going to make a Superman movie and say he's not from Krypton. Right. I mean, that's just who he is. So <laughs> those kind of things. And I think characters that are not well-known, uh, not as well-known as your Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, I think filmmakers feel like they have uh, more leeway to change things because you're not going to upset things that people already know. You know, mm. like you said, he, he was not as well. He's not as well known. And that's true. But at the same time, I think you should try to treat all characters with the same amount of respect to their lore and their uh, and their comic book origins, I guess is the best way to put it for you yeah. got to change some stuff, sure, but you know that that's yeah. where I am on that one. No, that's fair enough. It'd be interesting to see sort of how they take it, what direction they go in. The, um, the more yeah. the more of the things I've seen released, you know, the more the better I feel about it. I can say that oh, that's as good. well. So yeah, cool. Well, we have our fingers crossed. So for anyone out there who maybe is thinking about poking their nose a bit more into, shall we say, the comic book character rather than the movie character, were, are there any sort of key issues or storylines, like maybe the main two or three maybe that people should look out for? I think, uh, I think getting the uh, – there, um, there is a uh, – a store a story a collection that collects uh the human torch and submariner battles in the golden age okay there is the first sort of 10 issues of marvel mystery comics that you probably can't get all in one in one volume but you can get it in the first few volumes of the of the archive or the marvel Masterworks edition dc is the archive oops and then there's the uh submariner essential submariner which collects all of the 
Tales to Astonish stuff. And the first couple stories, uh, he shows up in the Fantastic Four. I think it's like issue four and issue six. Um, and then recent stuff, I would say that Saga the Submariner would give you a nice, mm-hmm. you know, piece of about the first half of his career, considering that thing is probably about 40 years old at this point. <laughs> And then uh, we, we forget how old we are, you know. That just came out. No, it came out like 35 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and then some of the name were the Submariner stuff uh, by John Byrne in the 80s slash 90s. I can't say I'm real familiar with a lot of the stuff after that. No, that's, but that's fair enough. That's the, uh, that's the basic stuff, though. Awesome. That's brilliant. Thank you so much. And hopefully that has um wet people's appetite for no no pun intended but i'm bumped no indeed (laughs) um and even if it hasn't for the movie maybe it's just sort of made you a bit more interested in the character filled in some gaps maybe made you want to read some comics let us know um matt thank you so much for joining me this has been uh been great thank you so much you're welcome anytime paul and um if people would like to find matt I'm going to put all of your details in the show notes, your amazing podcast, all of your writing. Is the Black Panther book out now? I've lost yes. track. Yes, it is. It was it is. back out at the beginning, Perfect. early part of the year. So you can find that as well. And there's another chapter and a Batman book coming uh, some point. It's had to, it's bounced to a couple of publishers, but things are on the, uh, on the right track with that. So yes. that, that was more the one that wasn't soon. out. Yes, yes. I've lost track. You, you're doing too many things now, Matt. I've lost track of them. <laughs> I am. I, I, I lost track of them too. That's part of the problem. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I shall put all the details in the show notes. People do seek Matt out. He is amazing. You will find out lots of information and you want to do that. As always, thank you so much for joining me. If you would like to contact the show, you can do so on Twitter at Geekdom Guide superdummy.co.uk if you want to send in your suggestions for who we should talk about you can do that there and until next time thank you so much for joining us